Welcome back to the Barbell Medicine Podcast. I'm Dr. Jordan Feigenbaum. I hope you had a great week. In this episode, we're going to talk about the injury risk in CrossFit. Now, CrossFit is often scrutinized for having an abnormally high injury rate compared to other types of resistance training. So we're going to talk about it on the podcast. But before we do, let's talk about what is CrossFit. The CrossFit website says that CrossFit is a fitness program that produces measurable outcomes through lifestyle changes centered on training and nutrition. Workouts consist of constantly varied, high-intensity functional movements and are most fun and effective among friends at a local CrossFit gym. That's a great piece of copy, really hats off to CrossFit, but what really is CrossFit? Well, CrossFit is a brand, of course, but the training most commonly associated with it revolves around a workout of the day, also called a WOD, that combines elements of gymnastics, Olympic weightlifting, traditional resistance training, and endurance training. While there's no consensus definition of what is and what isn't a CrossFit workout, I think most will agree that the combination of these different training styles into a single workout done in a competitive setting, so for total time or total reps, is uniquely CrossFit. For reference, I've actually been through two CrossFit certification courses. I did a traditional level one, as they call it, CrossFit course in 2009 and the level one MD course in 2018. I've also participated in the CrossFit Open in 2016 when I was taking a break from powerlifting, and I've worked with a number of CrossFit athletes over the years. So I have a fair bit of experience with CrossFit, which is besides the point. I mean, why are we even talking about CrossFit in the first place? Well, the CrossFit Open starts at the end of this month, February 29th, and the Open is a series of workouts that hundreds of thousands of people complete worldwide to test their fitness and attempt to qualify for the annual CrossFit Games. No, seriously, hundreds of thousands of people do this. In 2023, for example, 323,014 people participated in the CrossFit Open, up 10% from 2022. So with all this about to go down, I figured we should talk about the claim that CrossFit is a dangerous way to exercise. Now, this is not a new claim, as many in the strength and conditioning community have been saying this for decades. For example, nearly 15 years ago, Mike Boyle, a veteran coach, said that high rep Olympic lifting is dangerous. Be careful with CrossFit. Around the same time, another longtime coach, Alan Cosgrove, said that CrossFit's programming is all over the place and that there are more effective and safer choices. There have been other positions taken against CrossFit from both the American College of Sports Medicine, the ACSM, via their Consortium for Health and Military Performance paper published in 2011 that's also called the CHAMP paper, and also the National Strength and Conditioning Association, the NSCA, published a paper in 2013 citing a 16% withdrawal rate due to injury from CrossFit. Now, CrossFit actually sued the NSCA for publishing false data, and a California federal court ruled in favor of CrossFit nearly six years later, in 2019, finding that the NSCA did in fact falsify data and later awarded them nearly $4 million. All of this is to say a lot of people and organizations with large platforms have been suggesting CrossFit is dangerous for a long time. We're going to dive into the research here and see if there's any supporting evidence for this claim, but first, just a brief discussion about injuries. When looking at injury risk during sport or activity, what we're really trying to do is determine the injury rate, which is how many injuries occur in participants over a particular period of time. The injury rate is usually reported based on the exposure to the sport, to the competition, to training for the competition, and it's most commonly reported per thousand participation hours. That's the good news. The bad news is that there's no real consensus about what an injury is. In the early 2000s, FIFA tried to suggest a suitable definition for sports injury, but it wasn't widely adopted. Heck, there are even some papers that assess injury in sport or exercise, and they don't even define what an injury is, despite publishing numbers on injury rates. The reason this matters is because the definition of what an injury actually is can significantly alter the rates of injuries reported. For example, an eight-week-long study at an international volleyball tournament 
looked at the amount of injuries reported based on two different definitions for injury. Using the time loss definition of injury, which is any physical complaint resulting in time lost from training or competition, the researchers recorded 23 injuries in the eight-week period for a rate of 4.1 injuries per 1,000 participation hours. In the same group, but this time using the physical symptom definition of injury, where any physical complaint of pain sustained by a player resulting from a volleyball match or training, irrespective of need for medical attention or time loss from volleyball-related activities, well, that all counted as an injury. And in this particular uh, setting, researchers recorded 33 injuries for a rate of 5.8 injuries per 1,000 participation hours. Clearly, the definition of injury matters when we're trying to assess the risk of a particular activity. And because of the lack of a consistent definition for injury, we should go into this review with eyes wide open about the quality of the data. I do think that it's likely injury rates would scale proportionally up or down with different definitions across different activities. So rather than focusing on the number being reported, I think comparing the rates of injury during one activity to that of another is more instructive. In other words, don't get too caught up in the minutia, but rather, let's think about big picture relationships. With that in mind, let's start the discussion with the injury rate in more traditional forms of resistance training. So on average, most forms of resistance training have an injury rate of two to four injuries per thousand participation hours. The majority of injuries observed in resistance training are not catastrophic in that they do not require specialized care or medical attention, and they spontaneously resolve on their own with an average symptom duration of less than two weeks. For comparison, cycling has an injury risk of 0.5 to two injuries per thousand participation hours, and walking for exercise has an injury risk of around 0.9 to 1.2 injuries per 1,000 participation hours. Of course, this all depends on the study's methodology, the definition of injury used, but those are the general relationships. There's also a non-zero injury risk for just living, as one study elegantly showed. In this study, nearly 200 previously sedentary adults were randomized into one of two groups. Group one did moderate to vigorous intensity cardio for six hours per week, whereas the other group did not exercise. Now, this study went on for a year, and at the end of the study, injury rates in those getting lots of exercise was almost exactly the same as those who weren't exercising at all, at 28%. Interestingly, bodily pain reports were higher in the non-exercising control group compared to those who were exercising. Okay, so with all that in mind, what does the data say about CrossFit and injuries? Unfortunately, all of the studies on injuries in CrossFit are retrospective, which means that subjects self-report, quote, injuries they incurred over a previous time period. While this type of study is fairly common in injury surveillance overall, it does increase the chance for recall bias to influence the study's findings. Now, recall bias is when participants may not remember previous events or experiences accurately and or omit details. Additionally, the validity of recalling an injury in retrospective injury surveys has been shown not to be very high, even when assessed by trained medical professionals. So all that is to say, again, the quality of the data isn't great, but I do think that the relationships between the injury rates in CrossFit and other types of exercise or sport are valid, and we should just compare those rather than focus on the specific numbers. Okay, on to the studies. One study surveyed 381 individuals who engaged in CrossFit training for four to five days per week for 30 to 60 minutes at a time to assess injuries over the last six months. Now, injuries were defined as a new physical complaint that caused folks to stop CrossFit for greater than one week, modify their training for greater than two weeks, or visit a healthcare professional. 75 injuries were reported over the six-month recall period in the 381 individuals, which yields an injury rate of about 2.4 injuries per 1,000 participation hours. 
This podcast is brought to you by Pioneer Belts. At Pioneer Belts, they have belts for all applications. If you're interested on how belts work or how to choose a belt, check out our podcast episode number 219. Most people will do best with a four inch wide belt that's 10 millimeters thick, either single prong or lever, depending on the fastening mechanism that you prefer. Pioneer has industry exclusive micro adjustments on their lever belts for ease of use without tools. They also make custom belts to your specs, depending on what you want. Trusted by some of the world's strongest athletes, choose Pioneer for your weightlifting belts and accessories. Head to generalleathercraft.com and tell them Barbell Medicine sent you. This episode is brought to you by BetterHelp. After going to the gym, what's the first thing you'd do if you had an extra hour in your day? For me, I'd probably do some more reading or get outside of nature, maybe both. Whether we're talking about training, a dietary change, or just life, the best way to squeeze that special thing into your schedule is to know what's important to you. Therapy can help you find out what matters to you so you can do more of it. Of course, therapy isn't a single thing per se, but working with a licensed therapist may be helpful for many folks to learn positive coping skills, how to set boundaries, and overall empower you to be the best version of yourself. If you're thinking about starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient, flexible, and suit you, the individual. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash barbellpod today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash BarbellPod for 10% off your first month. Another study recruited CrossFitters over the internet to answer a few questions regarding their injury history. They asked them, during the past year, how many times would you say that you've been injured because of CrossFit training? And they also asked how many times they did CrossFit per week to try to figure out the injury rate. Now, the study generated over 3,000 responses, and 30% reported an injury related to CrossFit training in the previous 12 months. Of those reporting an injury, 62% of the time it was a single body part or area, and 37% of the time it was more than one body part or area. The shoulders and back by far were the most commonly injured sites at 39% and 36% respectively, but in any case, the injury rate reported was quite low between 0.27 and 0.7 injuries per thousand participation hours. Interestingly, more injuries were seen in those with the fewest number of weekly workouts, perhaps suggesting a sort of training paradox, where more training better adapts the individual to the demands of training, thereby lowering injury risk despite increased exposure. No significant differences were noted between age groups or sexes in this particular study. Three additional studies compared CrossFit training to participation in track and field, traditional Army PT, Olympic weightlifting, powerlifting, gymnastics, and running with all three finding a similar injury rate between CrossFit and these other forms of exercise. There are a fair amount of individual studies looking at injury rates in CrossFit, but perhaps a better way to analyze the actual risk of injury from CrossFit is by combining all of the data together through a meta-analysis and systematic review. Now, there are a number of different meta-analyses and systematic reviews of injury risk in CrossFit in adults, and the results are fairly consistent. A recent one from 2020 included 25 studies and over 12,000 subjects. In 22 of the 25 included studies, the average reported injury rate was between two to four injuries per thousand participation hours, the same as traditional resistance training. The remaining three that were higher had a few interesting issues. One used an injury definition requiring only one day of symptoms, perhaps inflating the number. Another included a bunch of national level competitors, which is not very generalizable. But the third one, well, The third one was done in untrained folks just starting CrossFit, which I think warrants some further discussion. Now, this particular study looked at 168 novice CrossFitters in Denmark and found that over eight weeks, there were 28 injuries reported, 
suggesting a much higher injury rate at 9.5 injuries per 1,000 participation hours. In this study, injuries were investigated using yes or no responses to the question, during the CrossFit experiment, have you had any problems, defined as pain, soreness, stiffness, or swelling, related to your CrossFit training? If yes, the participants were asked how long the problem occurred and to what extent it affected their training. Was it full participation without problems, full participation but with problems, reduced participation, or no ability to participate? To qualify as an injury, the person had to have some sort of physical symptom, again, pain, soreness, stiffness, or swelling, that affected participation for at least a week. So using these definitions, this study found a much higher injury rate than is commonly reported with either traditional resistance training or in CrossFit in general, 9.5 injuries per 1,000 participation hours. I think that the short duration makes recall bias a bit less likely, but there could be another type of bias, a sort of time bias, if you will. For example, if the study had run longer and fewer injuries occurred than in the initial eight weeks, the injury rate would be lower. That's certainly possible, but the study could also be right. Perhaps the greatest risk of injury in CrossFit is during the first few weeks for novices, when they're relatively untrained and unadapted to the demands of the workout. That seems plausible to me too, perhaps making the case for auto-regulating the first few months of CrossFit participation in untrained individuals using RPE, time, load, and rep caps on workouts, and focusing on pacing rather than testing one's fitness during a workout. Effectively, you're trying to give them an on-ramp to adapting to the workout without necessarily pushing them too far and outkicking their coverage. My take is that CrossFit's injury rate is similar to what is seen in other types of resistance training at about two to four injuries per thousand participation hours. While this is much lower than contact sports like rugby, soccer, and American football, which have injury rates of 18 to 81 injuries per thousand participation hours, I do think that it's possible that there's a higher risk of injury in untrained individuals just starting CrossFit when compared to other forms of traditional resistance training. Additionally, a number of studies identified injured individuals participating in CrossFit who had rhabdomyolysis an extreme form of delayed onset muscle soreness, or DOMS, which leads to excessive breakdown of the muscle cell and release of the contents that are normally contained within the muscle cell into the bloodstream. While the incidence of rhabdomyolysis is low overall, it does appear to be higher in CrossFit than in other forms of traditional resistance training, particularly with other risk factors are present, like heat, high training volumes, and competition. We talked about this a little bit in episode 266, so if you want to learn more about rhabdomyolysis, I've linked that in the description below. You can check that out. Overall, I think that CrossFit is a fine way to meet or exceed the exercise guidelines, physical activity targets. I don't think the data supports the idea that CrossFit is uniquely dangerous or harmful. Not even close. Yes, there are risks and benefits to everything, even exercise, but the risks of exercise, including injury, tend to be massively outweighed by the benefits, even if that exercise is CrossFit. Now, one final note on CrossFit. CrossFit is not my favorite flavor of fitness personally, and I have a number of issues surrounding the claims made about how well their training works, their nutrition information, and weird stuff they say regarding medical conditions. Still, I can't say with a straight face that CrossFit has been bad for the fitness industry. Quite the contrary. I think CrossFit has been one of the biggest drivers of the physical culture movement, particularly amongst women. And this extends beyond CrossFit itself. Exposure to Olympic weightlifting, powerlifting, and other subspecialties of CrossFit have increased participation in these sports markedly. The gym equipment industry has been revolutionized thanks to CrossFit. Do you know how hard it used to be to get a barbell or to find a place to train while traveling? The popularity of CrossFit has been a blessing for the industry, in my opinion. Okay, that's it for this episode of the Barbell Medicine Podcast. If you like the episode, share it with a friend and leave us a five-star review. Hope you have a great weekend, and thanks for listening.